myself again. Hi and welcome to NUFC Matters. This is another in our NUFC Newcastle United Disunited series. And uh, today we're going to look at NUFC Fans United and uh, something which I was part of uh, along with Steve Hasty. Uh, and that is why, Steve, you're on the top row tonight. <laughs> but uh, as always... We could all get in the top row because Mitch was involved with it as well. <laughs> That's right. Well, Mitch was involved as well. Uh, not so much with this one, but um, because we've done the shows together, it's just nice to have everybody on board. And also good to get other people's opinions, I guess, on uh, what they thought of what we were doing at the time. But Steve, obviously, we, we left the last episode with um, with a departure from the NUST, the Trust, and um, you had a bit of time out. I did, yes. <laughs> you could call it that. Not much time out, but I wanted, I wanted to just walk away from... The whole fan politics, you know, we'd been involved since 2008. It was now 2011. Um, I'd, I'd gone through the, 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 the NUSC. I'd gone through the, the setup of NUST, the uh, the Yes We Can campaign, which I was heavily involved in. And then, of course, I was uh, I, I then I then left um, NUST and, um, you know, reasons for which pr probably will become obvious as, as the show goes on. Um but yeah, I wanted a little bit of time out, and you know, just looking as an outsider as as, as what was going on. Um, <clears throat> but I remember uh, getting a call from you, um, which uh, said, "Do you fancy a coffee in town?" And uh, I'd had a couple of these calls in the past. Uh, Do you want a coffee in town? And then I'd end up, I would turn up, and I'd meet someone. Then there would be some Hollywood star, or there would be some. <laughs> Some actor who was up here, or a boxer, and would end up having a cup of coffee and uh, in a chat, and it was great. So I, I, I just, I just turned up, and uh, as usual in Rev's bar, and there we were having a, have a nice cup of coffee and a bit of chat about about what's going on in in the town and in your life. Um, and you dropped the bombshell that you'd been in touch, or had been someone had been in touch with you um, about the state of the fans and the, the lack of dialogue and the and the way that the situation seemed to be where fans were no longer interacting or having any communication with the football club. And they thought that there was a gap in the market, for want of a better word. I mean, it's not the phrase that I would normally use, <coughs> excuse me, but just as an explanation, they felt as though there was a a huge gap had been created between the trust and the football club. Um, and they they also felt that the, that with a little bit of, of um, sort of dialogue, a little bit of, of, of decent conversation and a little bit of common sense, there was always the possibility that, that the two sides of, of the, of the, of, the of, of each side, the, the club and supporters could come together and at least start talking again. Remember we'd had, Lamb bias, and we'd had, you know, the storming of the Bastille almost with Mitch and myself, and the rest of the of NUSC a couple of years back. So there was a lot of angst. There was a lot of of bad feeling um, that still existed <coughs> with between the parties. Um, and I, you, you wanted you wanted my thoughts on it, and you knew that that you probably well you probably knew that it wouldn't take much to drag us back. Um, I think you were surprised that it did take a lot more than that, but um, I think it was sort of trying to play on my conscience, if the if the truth be known. Uh, especially when I found out who it was that was that was feeling as though that you know, with their expertise and their knowledge and their history, that they they felt it was something that should should be put in place. Um, so I listened to what you had to say, Steve. We also 
<coughs> I think we also had a couple of telephone conversations with that individual. Um, and it kind of it kind of made sense, if, if the truth be known. Um, I remember leaving the meeting that we had um, and thinking, I need to have a conversation with a certain Mr. Mitchell here and a Mr. Corcoran and see exactly what they felt. Um, because, you know, it, as I said right at the start, it wasn't something I particularly wanted to get back into. And I thought, do I want to do it on my own? No. Do I do I need the backing of friends? Almost certainly. Do I need the backing of friends that I can trust? Undoubtedly. Um, and do we as a collective really want to get back into that scene again after what we'd gone through only, you know, a, a year, a year earlier. Um, so that's what, that's what happened. I had conversations with Bill. I had conversations with, with Neil, um, carried on the conversation with you. You can't be very persuasive by the way, Mr. <laughs> you can't be very persuasive. Um, it didn't take quite take an arm up the back, but, uh, I did feel at one time that it was a case of, um, well, if you want to carry on coming into the bars that I'm on the doors with, you know, you're, you're going to have to play the game, Mr. Hasty. <laughs> wasn't that bad. No, no, it wasn't. It, was, it wasn't that bad, no. But, you know, when you when you try, when try someone's trying to convince you to do something that you're not really sure about, um, you have to take counsel, don't you? You know, it's only common sense that you take counsel from people. And um, one of the things we did... <clears throat> Having spoken to Neil and and Bill, we then I met up with you again in the same place, and this time we you arranged for Mark Douglas from the Chronicle to come along. And, yeah, we went um, to Revolution, didn't we? Right, we sat in Rev. Is, I, I call it Revs. You can tell I had a daughter who was been students in the past who all call these bars Revs instead of Revolution. And um, yeah, but we sat in sat in Revolution Bar, um, and we had a we had a chat and kind of mulled over the idea with Mark and. Um, Got positive vibes, you know. There, there was there was definitely a feeling, and we wanted to wanted to know if it was just us, but there was definitely a feeling that there was a need for some sort of dialogue to 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 restart. Um, <coughs> the fans liaison officer was a chap called Simon Esland, um, and obviously also in that area was Wendy Taylor, who was part of the uh, the media team um, at the club, and. We got in touch with them and we said, "Look, we've been told that that you want to talk. Is that true?" And we got and and sure enough, the word that we got back was, "Yes, we'd like to have a conversation with you." Um, off the record, private. Um, explain why we think it would be useful. Uh, what you would get out of it. Um, if you if you set it up properly, and if we buried the hatchet. Um, on some of the past angst that had happened. So, I mean, when you hear things like that, you think, well. We need to we need to seriously consider this, which is what we did. Um, we considered it among ourselves. Um, we considered it um, long and hard, really, um, and decided to, to have an open meeting. Uh, so we, we we had an open meeting. Um, <clears throat> I think it was the twenty fourth of February, twenty eleven, when we put out a, 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 an email to a whole host of people that, that most of us knew, um, whether it was a fanzine editor, a, a podcaster, which weren't really podcasts in those times, was people doing stuff like you were doing on the radio and that type of thing, Steve, wasn't video podcasts. But there was a lot of a lot of uh, different groups out there, Toontastic and, and a lot of blog sites. 
And we invited everybody along and said, look, come along, hear what we've got to say. What we what we wanted to do was kind of like almost a, a TUC, a trade union congress of fans that would come together and we could talk over the issues and try to come to a common understanding on some of the subjects that we could talk to the football club about. And, and initially try and understand what it was that we wanted out of this football club in the form of dialogue, what we wanted them to listen to, what the main objectives were, and what the main issues that we felt needed to be discussed. <coughs> but they, they needed to be issues that were going to be discussed that would be a two-way conversation. And that was the difficulty, you know, getting people to understand that. And most of them, most of the people that we invited came along, not everybody. Uh, some some groups came along and, and told us what an absolute farce it would be. It was a joke that only NUST should be allowed to speak to Newcastle United. Um, others just didn't turn up at all, one or two. But in the main, we had quite a, a quite a cross-section of fans that turned up at that first meeting. Um, strangely, when one of the, one of the issues had been a lack of of any dialogue to the within the fan base itself from NUST, and we had tried and tried to have roadshows put back on and things like that, and there was just a, a dismissal of all of that type of of conversation. It wasn't going to happen. Um, so I think we knew that if we could get all the fan groups together, at least there was they were getting the opportunity for to have their say and they were doing it face to face. They were doing it among each other. They were sitting around the table with each other. They were understanding how one had an issue because there were a singing section on level seven. Another had an issue because the vast majority traveled, traveled to away games were having trouble with tickets and um, somewhere in the Gallagher end and didn't want to be there. They wanted to be back where they were in the leases and vice versa. Um, <coughs> Whole cross cross section of issues. Some of them wanted to to have more done in the community. Some of them just wanted to have the ear of the football club. Um, and they actually, when we announced we we're having this meeting, there was then a quickly a hurry, hurriedly arranged um, NUST meeting two days later uh, that was also put out, which I found was strange. I think you've probably got the the. I think I, I sent you a copy of the of the little piece there, that Steve. That was, yeah, I've got that. Yeah, yeah, I'll stick that up. Yeah, there was a a, a letter put out, wasn't it? That's right. And and this, I mean, I, I, people think I have an issue with with NUST, and I, but this is this is an example of what they wanted to talk about at the time. And as you can see on that, you know, a public meeting, a survey, um, which. Might fascinate Keith this because it's a staggering ninety-six percent of uh, supporters felt the current owners don't listen to their concerns, and seventy-eight percent believe that they should be allowed to take a stake in the football club. Um, <laughs> over four thousand seven hundred fans responded to the survey, um, and then they then wanted to to basically have a meeting to talk about that, to talk about the fact that there was going to be ninety-six percent of of those who had answered felt the owners weren't listening. And 78 wanted to have a stake in the football club. Um, <coughs> the lads around the table and lasses around the table that came to us, they wanted to talk about more transient stuff. They wanted to talk about, well, why am I not allowed to move from X to Y? Why am I being forced to move from seat Z to seat A? Why why have you disbanded the singing section? Um, why are we having to move to the Gallagher end, et cetera, et cetera? All of those type of things, you know? Um, so it was like... It's a bit of a dichotomy, I suppose, for want of a better word. Um, 
but we had we had the meeting um, and we carried on, um, and it became a regular event. It became well, my regular- my my memories. I'll stop you there. See, my memories of that first event were of the growing animosity um, between certain parties, and I think that was, you know, the the split from the trust certainly caused issues between people. Uh, but that wasn't the major issue that night. And I'm not going to name names, but one particular fanzine editor uh, was there that night who clearly came to to say that he wasn't happy about this. And he was clearly pushing the, the trust's agenda. However, the, the other person who was there that night was a writer uh, who had left his fanzine, um, uh, obviously months earlier, and clearly was somebody who was the polar opposite opinion of him and clearly, we were more concerned about there being actually a, a physical confrontation between those two guys. However, it didn't turn out like that. There was a few crossed words. Um, but I think that just cemented the fact that, you know, we were never going to have the support of one of the fanzines or the trust. And that was the reason that that particular, you know, mail shop went out from the, the trust to say, you know, we are the only democratic organisation. This is what we want to do. This is how we're going to do it. Mitch, I'll come to you. You know, Steve mentioned the fact that he bent your ear about this particular uh, project, you know, that, that that I'd come to Steve with. Um, what was your take on it? The, the, the timing for me was, cute, was, was difficult because I, I was sitting on a job offer from the Middle East and life was about to change significantly for me. Um, I'd come away from the trust for reasons we discussed last last time round. Um, my frustration with the trust was, ironically, lack of communication. That the, the, the incumbent that took over after me as chair decided he didn't want nor felt like he had to speak to anybody, memberships or otherwise, and was going to sail the ship in the direction he, he saw. Um they painted themselves into a corner with a with a club in terms of communication, um, and for me, dialogue with the club's essential. In, in a proper functioning football club, there shouldn't be a need to do something like this because there should be vehicles that would allow everybody to have input, and it should be club driven. But of course, in our dysfunctional club, that doesn't happen. As we discovered with the NUSC days, you can't knock on the door. You've got to kick the kick the door in. You, you've got to create, present them a done deal. I was all for any way that we could get dialogue going again, because dialogue is the only way that can make certain things work. You can fundamentally disagree with what somebody's doing and be polar opposites in every way, shape, or form, but you can still have dialogue, and that dialogue can still be healthy. It doesn't make you a, a traitor um, or a quizzling or many other words that were choked at Mr. Hasty, by the way, over time. Um, and being accused of all sorts when, at the end of the day, the, the only agenda out of all of this was communication, and that's one of my big things. I learned so much of that doing the roadshows with NUSC and NUST. I can't you know, reiterate that a much, reaching out and speaking to people, opening doors and, and holding dialogue. And it's the it's the old adage, you attract more flax for honey than you do with vinegar. And you, you, you've, you've got to have that communications essential, particularly with a club like Newcastle United, the way it's run. Because, and again, we've said this to a boo in the face, there's some great people, 
have been and still are working within Newcastle United, but their wings are constantly clipped. They're constantly hamstrung by the actions and inactions above. Um, but where possible, when that dialogue gets going and it becomes open, you can achieve all sorts. Um, and it seems like, and it always felt like, and even now it feels like, the trust feel like they should be the only and sole means of communication with a football club. And, and as a founder of the trust and an in, interim chair, I think that's fundamentally wrong. <clears throat> I think they're an important source of dialogue. I think they're, an, they're a very, very important source of dialogue for the club. They should be the club's critical friend. But not everybody wants to be a member. And so how do those people get dialogue? Not everybody wants to have a stake in the club. So how do they get dialogue? And, and I think there should be as many different ways and as many different avenues for the club to be able to interact with fans of all types and all, in all areas in all ways. Because without that, you're only getting one side of the story. And, and it's ironic that the fans forum that eventually came out of this was recently, well, recently, yeah, I think we can say recently, dismantled into something less effective because of the actions of the trust. And I think that's just, you know, it just says it all. And, and that's the frustrating thing here. Um, but the agenda was only ever proper dialogue and, and, and useful dialogue. Um, and, and to sit with so many different people, what you guys actually did was manage to get certain people in the same room who I never thought would sit in the same room, including the two people you've just been talking about. Um, and, and that in itself was a big thing and something that I was prepared to push and support as much as I can, even though in the not too distant future, I was buggering off to the sun in the desert um, and still, still chipping in from the sidelines from afar. But it was, it was never, as Steve said, about getting one over or being petty or getting back at the trust. It was about establishing dialogue for as many different people as possible. And there was no other way to do that. No, and I was approached to do that, as you say. I mean, there was people within the club who wanted dialogue with supporters. And, um, you know, as, as you say, the fans liaison officer position was Simon Esland, who, you know, built up good relationships with supporters. Um, Wendy, of course, coming in in the media department, she was she was crucial. She, she, she wanted to try and make a difference. She wanted to make her job easier. I guess in, in the long run, and um, she saw fans as a an important part of that. So you know, credit to Wendy. She doesn't get as much credit as she deserves because you know some people. I think in those early days, just felt she was a bit of a smiling assassin, but she was actually actually a really nice girl who who you know, a nice woman who came into her job professionally and uh, you know who tried her best. And um, that that that's a positive. Um, Keith, I mean, you you didn't have a great deal to play in this, but you 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 watched. So when you heard about this. This idea, um, you know, I'm sure you know. Steve will have mentioned it to you. What was your What was your thoughts? Because obviously, you know, you, you've seen your best one of your best pals, Steve Hasty, get you know um, treated so badly by NUST at the time. You know, were you thinking he was a bit daft for getting involved again? <laughs> I think there's something on all of these series that, that I've, when when, they, when there was NUSC, I understood it, and I was involved with them and uh, helped them. And my liaison point was always Colin Whittle. And I never imagined that Steve Hastie wouldn't be a critical part of all this. So it, as though if Colin was in it, Steve Hastie would be in it. 
And when I heard and saw what happened to Stevie SG, you can only speak from your own point of view. If that happened to me, I could never have gone back. So for you to be able to get him in a pub and persuade him to come back or to bully him, um, it's, 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 it's a big thing, but it's a big thing for him to turn up for the meeting, really. Because you wouldn't have invited him down, Steve Wraith, if you didn't think Steve Wraith would, would, you might be able to get him round. But I imagine, Steve, what you were doing, you didn't want to do it without Steve Hasty. And, and, and being honest, being straight with you, Steve Hasty, I think, I think you were mad to do it. And something Mitch said resumed with me, great. He said, he said, he said I, because I always got the impression when he chased from NUSC to NUST, I got the impression, because I was very much involved at the start, and as it changed, I got the impression that they thought they were the only people who were allowed to talk, and I got the impression that they thought they were the only people qualified to talk. And a lot of the meetings I heard that you all had, I heard they all seemed to break up because of people's egos. And, and even today, I'm going to put something on record now and say, what the trust are trying to do now with the pledge of, of getting the seat at the table to talk the club, I think they've already had. I think you had that with the fans liaison group. I think you had a vote and a voice and I think you were invited along to the club and with you know in the days of Lambius and the days of even even with the current setup, you've had a position to go and talk the club and you were listened to. But the feedback I got from people outside was they wouldn't sign minutes of meetings off, they wouldn't do this, they wouldn't do that, and they would, they spoiled it. And now it's as though you fight they're fighting back to have that right for a voice. But for Steve Hasty, I thought he put his life and soul into it. I thought it was nothing without him. I'm not just saying patronise him. I thought I thought you were as instrumental as people like Colin Whittle. I couldn't imagine it without you. I know that Mitch got stitched up big time about you now, Chairman. We're going to have a vote for Chairman. It's not you. And and a lot of you, I just wonder why you kept going because because I have a philosophy that if, if you're not wanted, then I, I can do better things. So so yeah. I mean, Steve, from an outsider, to be questioning Steve. Uh, for an outsider, I thought Steve Hayes was a bit mad. I thought you were very persuasive. But my proof or my support of my opinion stands today that I still see lack of support for support to groups and events and movements and massive buy into their own schemes. Whatever they're doing, they buy into. And whatever anyone else is doing, they, they, they can't give a vote. Or they can't support so so i think you're a, a bit touched mr hasty but uh it's, it's your nature because what you like to do you're a helper and you're a doer and like whenever i ring you if you haven't got the answers you go and get them so if i was doing anything in the future <laughs> I'd, I'd be wanting to wrap you into it you know what i mean and that's what steve raped did that night when he when it was them two meetings when he went to just get me to persuade just get me to persuade him and that's it <laughs> <laughs> Jobs are good. So, Steve, obviously, the meetings, you know, the first meeting's out the way. Um, yeah. You know, you were ably assisted by Zara. We've got to give Zara um, you know, some credit. Yeah, Bill Corcoran is always on hand to give us the Irish Centre, which is always a blessing for, for us when we've got meetings and always thank, thankful to him and his dad. Um, but but Zara was a big a big player in this as well. She, to those of you who don't know who Zara is, she was uh, the director and producer, one of the directors and producers of uh, We Are The Geordies, which, of course, we all uh, promoted on here, but all love as a fan base. So, um, yes, just tell us a little bit about how it progressed and, and a bit about Zara's involvement. Yeah, I mean, I had never met Zara until that first meeting, like, uh, like a lot of people around that table. 
Um, a lot of lads and lasses who turned up, I, they were they were totally new to me. Um, but the, but what I got from the meeting was like there was a, a an interest there. And Zora stood up at the meeting. Well, she didn't actually stand up. She had a leg in a in a brace. She just had a knee operation, if I remember rightly. And uh, that shows you, you know, someone who's just had a a, a, a ligament operation and a legs in a brace, and she still turns up. <coughs> and she wanted to turn up and say that if if this was going to come off, she already had um, a website address of NUFC Fans United, and she th- she felt as though if there was going to be something put in place and it was going to be galvanised and supporters of Newcastle United together, then what better a name to have than NUFC Fans United? And um, she, she, as I say, she offered that facility if we wanted it. Now, <clears throat> it wasn't my decision on whether we should be taking her up on the offer or not. It was very much a, a decision of the people in the room because we needed to gauge whether or not there was the appetite for to actually carry on and, and, and set this fan group or movement or series of meetings or whatever you wanted to call it um, and set it in place. And um, that's what we did. We, we, we felt, you know what, let's, let's show some of, the, some of the people in the room how serious we are and how serious we are in the fact that the football club are serious about it. And uh, we we turned up on a on a I think it was a, a Saturday lunch, Saturday at late afternoon on a Saturday in the uh in the strawberry and sat with the two people that you've mentioned, Steve, which were Wendy Taylor and Simon Esland. And they came along and they sat and they listened and they, they went round the table and everybody got their opportunity to speak. Everybody got the opportunity to show that they were coherent, sensible, um, forthright um, and honest, but also willing to listen. And I think that gave the club that sort of um, confidence, if you like, that this could work. Um, but it gave us the confidence <coughs> to know that there were there were enough people willing to turn up on at various meetings at various times and still wanted to get involved. There was one girl turned up and said, um, I'm a website designer. I'll I'll do your whole web layout for you. Zara's got the web address. I'll I'll work with Zara on that. So this was this was how it it, it just sort of like um evolved, if you like, um, but it evolved in a way that we had to keep it going at that point. It was then that I realized that this was this was there. And it was going to be a, an opportunity for as many fan groups and, and and people as possible to feed in their position, their thoughts, their angst, whatever you want to call it, their issues. But they felt as though this was an opportunity for themselves to be heard and for the club to listen because they obviously felt as though they hadn't had that in the past. Um so we made it a regular event. We made a regular monthly meeting. We started to take minutes of those meetings. I think you've got a copy of, of one of the very first set of, of minutes that we had because we didn't just jump into this. We waited until the season was was up and running. And there's an example of, of one of the topics that was discussed, Steve, which was uh, communication and its direct effects on, on supporters. Um, and this these were matters that we were raising and passing these minutes and passing these notes um, and and correspondence uh, to the football club and saying this is what we're talking about. These are the topics that are that are getting under our skin, and these are the sort of comments that are coming back from fans. 
Um, and it, it, it was, it was, <coughs> it was a precursor. What we wanted, we wanted to have the fans forum back. That was the, that was the ultimate aim. But we needed the club to understand that as a fan, as a group of fans, we were, we could hold sensible conversation, sensible dialogue, and and could be trusting enough and organised enough. And I think the key to it was organised enough um, to for them to then have to listen to us. You know, there was the willingness to listen, but we needed we needed to really really push that. Simon Esland left. Lee Marshall took on the, the role of fans liaison officer and carried on. And then Lee started to turn up at the meetings as well. Um, and he started to take notes. He started to take feedback back to the club. Um, and that's when some of the some of the issues started to get resolved. So even without the formal fans forum, um, issues were, were being raised with the football club. And Lee was able to resolve those issues and do it fairly quickly as well. Um, Issues that fans had about tickets, issues that individuals had, uh, matters that, that, that fan groups had. Um, they then had the ear. They had the ear of someone who could actually co go away and come back with an answer for them. And I think that was that was the point when it turned from a group of fans having a monthly meeting. And we, we, we held them in the Irish Centre. And if you remember as well, Steve, we held them in um, the, the uh, Cosmic Ballroom. Uh, sometimes if the Irish Centre's room was booked out, uh, you very kindly arranged with Steve down there to, to to open the bar a couple of hours early and we would sit in, in, in the room there before it then got filled up with students later on in the evening. <coughs> and we got out quickly because it was pretty obvious that we were we were not students. Um and and we, we had it it became it became the point where we were we basically had the club by the collar. And we're going, you've got to reinstate the fans forum. This is why. And, and then we sat with them and talked about how that could happen, what the format should be. And, and we also hammered home the fact that it had to be in front of Derek Lambeis. It had to be in front of, of Lee Charnley. It had to be in front of John, who, who was the, the finance people um, at the football club. And if necessary, Mike Ashley. Now it became obvious right from the start, and we all know, and it's carried on till today, um, <coughs> that Mike Ashley was not going to be there. But we had everybody else in the room. We had all all of the other people, the decision makers, if you like, on finance, the the, the chairman, the director, the secretary, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and we were able to bend their ear and 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 let them know exactly what we felt that was going wrong, what they should be doing to put it right, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, and I look at this. I look at this. I look at this as a big, a big change as well, Steve. This is when this is when Twitter, uh, social media, became yeah. a bit of a player. And um, come to you, Mitch, about some of these other about some of these other groups um, that were sat around the table at these meetings. And I know you were on your way to, to the Middle East, and, and you're still you're still out there. But we had we had United for Newcastle and Kev um, and his mates. We had. Um, the Mike Ashley Out campaign, uh, which was headed by a guy called Graham Carnsdale. There was lots of lots of different faces who came to the, the initial meeting who drifted away, but there was those were fairly 
you know, fairly steadfast. And they both had social media followings, Mitch, and that's that's when it all changed a little bit, isn't it? You would go and set the social media group up and, you know, you've suddenly got 2,000 followers. You've got a little bit of power or so you felt. Well, it changes your reach. It, it changes the, 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 the way messages can be put out. Um, that's why I've always been big on so, so certain forms of social media. What appealed to me about Twitter in particular was you had to be concise. You know, particularly when it was 120 characters a tweet. You, you, you had to find a way to get a simple message out very, very quickly. Um, but it does, it changes your reach, it changes your ability to shape a narrative. Um, and I think it's, that's very important. The, the advantage for something like Fans United to have people of different um, views and coming at the meeting from different standpoints all feeding into it and then feeding out positive news from that was quite quite useful because it meant you had different people with different agendas coming together saying, oh, right, we had a successful meeting tonight because we're doing X, Y, Z. And it was very, very easy to see. Um, yes, there was a little bit of vying for pecking order, for want of a better word, within that, but you're always going to get that. Um, it, it, it's herding the proverbial cats, but in this case it was herding a bloody pack of lions. But that's maybe a different matter. Um, but I think that that was really important with the rise of social media. I mean, a little point on Lee Marshall, who to take some stick at times. I've got a lot of time for Lee. Um, with the various things we did with Fans United and the various things things he did with with getting the fans home in place, he's got he, he he's got family out here, and he used to come and have a beer with me if he was out visiting the family, and spend time picking my, picking my brains on top of all of that, you know. Um, and there's not many people in roles like that would, would even bother their backside to go and do something like that. Um, and I always really feel he, he gets a, a lot of stick for a lot of bad reasons and, and, and doesn't get the praise he deserves for a lot of the work he's done on the scene. Yeah, I would agree. Um, yeah, Keith, social media, something relatively new to you with all of the... Uh, you know the situation that developed with the takeover in recent times, but that was when that was when social media did become a lot more influential. And like like Mitch has said, you know, you only had set amount of letters that you could use. And but you know, it just seemed that it changed the narrative a bit. In the old days, when you wanted to get a group of people together, you know, you would you would hand out leaflets at the ground. You used to print them all. Um, and, 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 you know, essentially get people together in a pub. You would go out and do rallying, you know, rallies and, and meetings at places. But the internet changed all that. Probably not for the better either, I would say. Um, it was new to me. I, when Mitch talked about 120 characters, I struggle with 240 now. So, so uh, you know, I, I, I write the message out and then I have to take, all right, I've got to make all the ands into an and sign and I've just got to reduce it, reduce it. But um, it, I, I remember those days well and, I was working in design. I had, I had a business, uh, a print business with with with, um, with a design function. So I was getting a lot of those messages out. And when it became digital, your know, life did change. And um, it, it's it, it's not that I wasn't used to it. It was Twitter was just a a forum that I'd avoided uh, through my working life. You know, I had businesses that had Twitter accounts uh, where we employed people to run those Twitter accounts, but I'd never actually done them myself. Good fortune when you start talking to QCs and things, you have to be the person who actually writes the message to keep it accurate. So in them days, I think Mitch's point is great. There was a lot of people uh, getting relevance because they were getting followers and things. You know, and social media was growing them a voice. Um, but again, you know, 
call me an outsider, but I always used to hear about these meetings you you are referring to now, where everybody and his brother turned up and they were, everybody was coming represented. And I used to hear about them. People say, you're coming? I'd say, no, I'm not bothered. Tell us what happens. And invariably, it's easy for me because I was an outsider. Somebody broke it. Somebody decided we're not doing it. Somebody said, somebody let you down every time. Every time there was somebody crashed it or didn't turn up or wasn't prepared to go ahead. And, and there was a lot of vociferous noises about what you were doing wrong. And I just think when you're trying to do something like you lot were, they should have been getting behind you and tell you what you're doing right. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, days, Steve. Yeah. Go, go on, on, Steve. No, no, you go on. In the, in the early days, um, it was great because we had like-minded people around the room. Yeah, um, I think I think when when we move, if we if we if we wanted to jump to what happened in 2018 and and fan groups wanting to start protesting it inside the ground or outside the ground, that's yeah. when that's when the whole dynamic changed. But at this particular junction, this was <coughs> this was fans. This was so you had a group of fans that wanted to be really radical, wanted to do something, wanted to really make a statement, wanted to be in the press wanted to do something that would would shake the club. Then you had other fans that were wanting to basically discuss the ticketing arrangements and the, the fact that they were being moved from level seven and the lack of, you know, they, they, were, they were being moved from where they were singing because somebody had allegedly complained of the language that was being used because it was next to the the junior section and stuff like this, you know. And they felt as though there was an awful lot being made of issues that didn't really exist. Um, so they wanted to get that point over to the club. Now, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, the Mike Ashley Out campaign. That, I think the first radical thing that, that Graham wanted to do was to dig up the memorial stone that he had paid for and take ownership back. And that was a that was a, a, a very radical thing to do. And... and um, but it was a statement that Graham wanted to make, and we all stood behind him, and we all we all stood alongside him when he wanted to when he wanted to do that. And no, you know, we we thought about it, and we talked it over with him, and wasn't the right thing to do. But that's what Graham wanted to do, so he was supported in that. Um, <clears throat> then there was obviously the uh, various marches that wanted to take place, um, where they were trying to get people together. I think one of them, obviously, Steve involved you, and it became a very, very well-known protest. Well, um, let's talk about that one. Yeah, go on. Okay, I mean, well, that was that. You know, tell us about the meeting and how it progressed into that, because Graham, Graham had obviously done that infamous uh, removal of the stone, as you say. It was right. something which he discussed. It was a a fairly high-profile event that, and and um, you know, very significant re removing the stone. And those of you who are watching this and don't know what we're talking about, the club obviously came up with the idea of being able to buy a stone. You know, outside St James's Park, you paid a price, you had whatever you wanted engraved on it. And there, what you find outside the Milburn stand, if you look down on the floor, I've got one with me, me, me dad, and my brother's name on. Yeah. So, what Graham decided to do was his protest was remove the stone. And, um, you know, he was, as far as he was concerned, he was entitled to do that. So, this was this, this was the start. And, of course, Mike Ashley then, in his wisdom, decides to rename St James's Park, which, of course, has been. The name, the name of the ground since we 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 landed there as Newcastle United is um, 
Sports Direct Arena. And this caused absolute furore amongst the supporters, and rightly so. Um, yeah. It was even changed on Google Maps and, and uh, you know, just, just had the fans <laughs> overhyped, me included. But uh, this was just as NUFC Fans United, of course, was building its relationship, Steve. So right. I'll let you take over what Graham's suggestion was from then. Yeah, well, I mean, we had all witnessed the, the crowbarring of the name off the wall, um, you know, I mean, sacrilege is is a is a word that you know probably not a strong enough word to use for for an awful lot of fans. And if anything, this galvanised a, a, a movement of fans like I'd like I'd never seen. <clears throat> a simple thing of changing the changing the club name and sticking a sticking a space there. If it, I think if it had been a sponsor, then people could have maybe stomached it, or they could have understood and then a dialogue could have been well why what's what's the reasoning but to crowbar it off to show as an example of what it could be by calling it the supports direct arena at st james's park and and saying well we're not actually getting anything for this the club's not getting anything but it's to show people what it would look like well you could have done that with a from an email you know if you wanted to call it the emirates you know st james's park or the so st james's park or whatever you could have you found the sponsor first you don't go out and say this is what it this is what you could have had this wasn't like you know the the darts program and and you know, here's the speedboat. This is what you could have won, type of thing that you're going out as a market employer. It's ridiculous. Um, so at that point, I think, and I've got to, you've got to remember as well that that, that stone that that Graham dug up, I think it was, it was a memorial stone. It was, I think, it was to his father or something like that. You know, who had passed away, and it, so it meant an awful lot to Graham. So it meant a lot to take it away, taking the stone away from the ground that his father had gone and watched Newcastle with. And he it he it meant an awful lot to him. It, it did hurt him, but at the same time, it it was something that symbolically he felt as though he wanted to do, and that's why we backed him. <coughs> um, did he get any hustle? Did he? I mean, did he try uh, and stop stop him doing? I think it? I think he went along on a Friday night at half past five with a chisel and uh, and a hammer and and you know a photographer and chiseled it out from then and then left a little a little hole in the in the floor. Um, I don't think I think if I remember rightly, I don't think the club even noticed. There's, there's the picture. I don't think the club even noticed he was there. If I remember, <coughs> I may be wrong. I may be wrong, and then the, the you know, security could have come. But he, to me, it doesn't look like he had any hassle. It doesn't look like he got uh, uh, he got got in a bad way. If I can just point something out here as well, that is a very good lookalike, uh, which of course will come, which of course will come to in due course. <laughs> exactly. So obviously the next the next course of action was that there needs to be a march because what they've basically done is they've killed they've killed New, they've killed St James's Park. St James's Park is no more as a name. You know, Sky were the first ones to jump onto it. The BBC didn't take long to latch onto it as well. And I know various letters went out to the to the BBC and to Sky, and there was a campaign, and fans were up in arms about it. <coughs> I think that um, I think that. If I remember rightly, some of us wrote to the BBC complaining that it was against the BBC Charter, um, that they should be calling it the uh, the, the uh, Sports Direct Arena at St James's Park because they were a bit, they were involving themselves in something that wasn't it was not a name that had been conjured up um, as a financial obligation or a, a following a financial obligation or financial deal. This was literally a free promo for Sports Direct. 
So, you know, we even we even went as far as that in complaining. But at the same time, um, <coughs> the, the vast majority of people wanted to protest and wanted a march through the town. So that's what was arranged. There was a march came through. Um, it was it, it took a it took a lot of a lot of work to get to that point. There was a lot of conversations with Northumbria police, as they always are, with the council. Um, you know, they they immediately come on and try to charge because they said it was under the Mike Ashley out campaign banner, so that would there would immediately be a, a ridiculous fee for closing roads and stuff like that. I mean, at one point they were talking like four grand and stuff, you know, uh, for to police your own march. Etc. Etc. It was getting stupid, um, but the you know <clears throat> the lads who who wanted it, they stuck by it, and they 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 did go ahead with the march, um, but they wanted something at the front to show the death of 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 St James's Park, and they decided they would have a coffin, and um, well, a guy a guy in Wall's End who ran a, a an undertaker's, he said, "I'll provide you with a black and white coffin." He was a relative was a... of Graham. He was a relative of Graham's, I think. He might have been, yeah. There are Goes you please. Goes you please, yeah. Goes you please. That, yeah. Go as you please. Yeah. that was what it was called. And uh, they, they were provided with a coffin, and um, the lads uh, <clears throat> started the march or arranged to start the march. And I think at at some point, with about twenty four hours to go, um, whoever was going to be leading the march um, at the front. The vicar. As, a sort of, as a sort of, you know, as a cortege, as, as carrying the coffin and the person from the undertaker's leading it, I think they either dropped out or couldn't make it. I can't remember the exact reason for it, um, and I would hate to surmise. Um, but they looked for a substitute. They needed somebody else <coughs> who would step forward. And, uh, and, and you think... This is when arm. This is when arm twisting really, really w was seen to come in. Is it Steve? Steve Hasty now goes and gets Steve Wraith to the Pope and says, "You got to do a job for us." I, I, I must end a stage. End a stage left. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah. I, I didn't actually do that. And I've, if if my memory serves me right, when the suggestion was put forward, and it was like, yeah, everybody step forward. Um, Right. If you can't do it, take one step back, and meanwhile, Steve Wraith's being distracted, and poor Steve Wraith's left standing at the front. Uh, we, what's going on? And he, all of a sudden, he was the person who was nominated to do it, or certainly he was the person that uh, that everybody looked at and said, wow. "How about you? You're an actor." And um, <coughs> I think that I think that was basically how you managed to to be. Persuaded, Steve. It wasn't far off. Yeah, that, I mean, look, it was. It was the that fact was... as well that there was a script written. Um, there was a script written as well, which which Graham had written, and he said, "We need somebody who's an actor who can project his voice." You're the man. And I, I look. I thought I haven't played a great deal of of you know a part in this, but why not? What 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 harm can it do? Uh, so I agreed, Mitch. Yeah, well, it was. I think the final conversation you had about it was with me. <laughs> I think that was where you were sort of like weighing it up in your head about what I'm like. Ah, just give it like an audition, man, Steve. Just you, you'll get you'll get something great out of it. I mean, obviously, it's been used as a stick to beat you with for the last god knows how many years as well. But uh, an unfairly, I may add. Um, but the way you stepped up with the plate to help that out, but everybody then assumes it was all your bloody idea, and it wasn't. So far from that, it's untrue. 
Yeah, yeah I mean, it was... I mean, the day itself, I, I, you know, I mean, I remember going to see uh, a good friend of ours, a vicar down at uh, one of the churches in Newcastle. He actually lent us his cassock, and he fully Glenn, agreed... Yeah, yeah Glenn, he, he fully agreed with the protest, but he, at the time, he was also the club's clergy, so he couldn't really... Uh, he couldn't really support it himself, and and that was a, one of the original ideas to get an actual vicar to be at the front. But he decided that um, you know his job at Newcastle was a little bit more precious than uh, than than you know than giving it away by being at the front of a protest, and and that was it. So yeah, I was in. Um, I was given the script. Uh, we met at the bottom at the uh, at the Gallagher end where the coffin was picked up. We walked around up Barrack Road and uh, we ended up at the top end of the ground towards the uh, the back of the the Milburn stand. And um, I just remember looking up towards the the glass atrium and and seeing uh, you know people looking out and um, people clapping in the street. I remember people joining the cortege, if you like. And I remember Olivia Bernard coming up to us and shaking me hand as I got to the uh, the wall where we were going to do the speech. And, um, you know, that was it. I did a speech. The media were there, not just local media, the world's media. I did a chat, as did Graham. I was, I, I've got to remember, I do remember being fairly reluctant to do many interviews that day because I just felt, you know, I hadn't organised this. I felt a bit of a fraud because... You know, I've been asked to do this at the last minute, and I felt there was people who were better than me who who were more capable of speaking about why this, why they're chosen to do this. Graham, especially after doing the, you know, the brick uh, escapade, I felt, you know, as the person who'd helped, you know, put put this plan together, he should have been at the forefront of it. But you know, and again, a lot of negativity. I mean, some of the Mike Ashley out crowd didn't particularly like me. They felt that I was going to hijack things that they were organising, and um, you know, I, I felt that. Again, this probably didn't do me much good in the wider fan base because, you know, I just felt, you know, I'd, I'd stood up and was counted. But it, it completely backfired on us, as Mitch said. And, and you know, I, the wrath of fans on social media, people saying I was an embarrassment, rates organised this, typical ill self-publicist. Um, it's probably the lowest I felt as a Newcastle fan because, you know, I was asked to do this and, and I, I didn't, you know, it wasn't me organising it. I was part of a committee which... You know, talked about it, but I, you know, it wasn't me who sanctioned it. I hadn't, I hadn't put the plant together. I just, you know, jumped in at the last minute to help the lads out. So, I've got to be honest, I was pretty low and pretty disappointed after that. Although I put a brave face on, as I always do, um, you know, mentally it really affected me that whole protest because, you know, I felt, you know, I, you know, I, I was forever going to be, you know, ridiculed as this vicar figure, and um, took us a while to get over it. I mean, you know, Mackams were on the case as well, you know, and laughing at us. Although I did manage to find the wonderful photo from 1973, uh, a, a year later on uh, on the internet, of the Mackams actually holding a, another coffin. They they held the original one, uh, the death of Leeds United, and walked a coffin across the pitch. At Roka Park, believe it or not. So uh, that was always that's always the one I fire back at the Mackams these days. But um, but yeah, it hit me hard. I mean, Keith, you will have watched that as a supporter. I was I was at the game, and, uh, what, and what, I, what did you what did you think about it? Um, truthfully, honestly, I'm not going to be I'm not going to be I'm not going to be offended, I just, mate. Just I thought I thought you were all a bit mad, and <laughs> and um, and and I got a laugh out of it. You know, I did laugh at it. The, the only vicar in, uh, in 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 the UK with the Adidas Samba trainers on, but um, <laughs> but, but but I thought to myself, and, and it is the way I think. I think it might be an age thing that's getting on. I, I thought, 
what they're going to achieve, what they're going to get out of that. And, and you know, you, you, it's, it is, I would never, ever knock anybody that's doing any campaign to see change. However, I was the one, the very first show you put me on, he said, is it out? You said, is it Ashley out? And I said, no, it's Ashley in to get him out. And I've all, you know, Mitch once said on the show that you're the first bloke who, uh, who ever knocked on the door and said, can we help you leave the club? And and I've always been of that ilk. If, if somebody owns a, a private business, um, he owns all the shares, that he's not just going to pack up and go. And I did massively dislike the rename of the ground. And there's, there's lots of things that's happened that, that, that I wouldn't vote for and I wouldn't endorse. But I still have always thought that you've got to get his blessing or his agreement to get him out. And like right now, as we sit you know, in August, uh, middle of August to 2021, we wonder whether we've come so close and yet it might not happen again. But right back then, I wanted change like you lot did. I just didn't really buy into how you were doing it. And I saw I saw a lot of the campaigns outside Sports Direct. And and I used to wonder, I used to ask myself, will this sicken them off enough to want to leave? But I used to always walk away thinking there'll probably be another way to do it. For you to do it and stand up, I mean, I knew people that were involved back then. I spoke to Steve Hasty um, and, 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 you know, I knew that you weren't the main organiser and I knew that you were the bloke who'd stepped up to help, but I knew in doing so you'll get all the shit for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Steve uh, carried the can. You carried the can on that yeah. one. There was no question. You did, like you did. Just, it was just, all, all bad yeah. press about you. Exactly. I think just to point out, the, the whole the whole idea of the coffin march was the death of St James's Park. It was the loss yeah. of the name. It yeah. was the fact that he was wanting to sell it off, couldn't sell it off, didn't know how to sell it off, didn't have a marketing team with with any nous about them other than, well, let's show people what you could have had. You know, like, and it, and it, and it, it was just it was just a, a ridiculous way for them to go about, um, and it was to it was to bring into focus among the fans worldwide, football fans worldwide, that we were being run by an organisation that was supposed to be one of the biggest sports emporiums in the world, and yet they couldn't even market a change of name for their own ground and had to advertise it by making everybody so angry about it that it became toxic and no company was ever going to stick their name on it anyway. And that's the, it's, it's those, it's that dichotomy. It's that ridiculousness about them when there was probably a damn sight better way to go about getting what yeah. they wanted. If they'd had the dialogue with the fans, explaining talking to people, fans, yeah, talking to people, and then and then promoting it and advertising it and pushing it out there, knowing that whoever came in would have the backing of the fans yeah. so, behind them, you know, it's it's like so many of the things that have happened under Ashley. Um, yeah. The crux of the matter is not very often what they do; it's the way it's the way they go about doing it. How how they do it, which yeah. tells yeah. you. Which, what does that tell you? It tells you who do they listen to? Who yeah. does he take his advice from? And this, this goes back to something 
that right at the very start of his problems, who did he take advice from? He took advice from Dennis Wise. He took advice from Vettiri. People like that. Yeah. On what, how the football club should be run mm. as a football club. Well, dismissing <laughs> the advice of a man like Kevin Keegan, who had et slept and drank Newcastle and had and was black and white through and through in terms of knowing that he had the love of, of every single supporter behind him. And and he didn't he, he couldn't grasp that. He didn't like that. That's well, that whole, whole... Thing, never know. <clears throat> but that's what it shows you. How how that football club at that particular time and probably mm. still is being operated because he listens to the wrong people at the wrong time about the wrong subject matter. That whole down renaming was was classic at the yeah. time move. It was an international weekend, so there was no game. So it was two weeks to let everything calm down. Um, he, um, the, even Wendy Taylor didn't know, did she? Until no. something like seven seven thirty in the morning, that the that the announcement was being made, and the guys came with the crowbars to St James's Park at half past eight. I think so. She, she <laughs> yeah, and I mean it, it just typical of the way that they do everything. Yet if they'd had had a dialogue, had an open dialogue with a group of supporters who said, "Look, we've got this idea. It we're going to open up an income stream that's going to allow more money to come into the club. That's going to allow more money to be spent on players." That we don't have to put in that year was the fans don't have to put in, but the prices were gonna change in the name of the ground a little bit. Yeah. We're gonna gonna keep St. James's Park and we want everybody to call it St. James's Park, but we're gonna have a sponsor's name attached to it. And then it wouldn't be a toxic brand, it would have been an attractive brand for someone. Yeah. And 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 again, the the could have probably done it the other way around. So St. James's Park sponsored by whatever, you know. Um, either way, they just got it arse over tit again. Um, and 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 so, it, it, and they, they used to always do it. I used to always get jumpy on international breaks because there was always a, a, something shitty was going to be done the week, uh, first weekend of the international break. So that two weeks before there was fans back in the ground and they were just hoping to all calm down by then. If you don't know your customer base, then how can you sell things to them? How can you sell them if you don't know what they're about in the first place? And that's that was that that biggest downfall. And I think that leads us into what happened next, Steve, which was the gates, wasn't it? That was yeah. That I mean, was just and just I'm not going to dwell too much on this uh, on this one, yeah. by the way. Just just the lookalike thing, and just to remind you that me and Graham uh, do tend to look quite similar. Um, there was another coffin march, was, uh, yeah. which was a little bit later, <laughs> to object to the Wonga sponsorship on the shirts. And the idea was, uh, again, that Mike Ashley Out campaign came up with was another coffin march. Now, I did not take part in this coffin march. It was Graham Cansdale, a.k.a. Willie Wonga. And he actually travelled up in the coffin and got out of it. But many people seem to think that is me. That's not me. That's Graham Cansdale. Willy Wonga. Willy Wonga. Graham Cansdale. Graham Cansdale. There's a there's a dodgy vicar in the background as well. (laughs) There's a vicar in the background who isn't me. So uh, just to clear that up, uh, we're not going to dwell too much on that one. But uh, look, 
I've got nothing against Graham Cansdale. I know no. for a fact that um, you know his heart was in the right place. He did everything he could uh, for NUFC Fans United uh, as part of the Mike Ashley Out campaign. Very connected guy and uh, somebody who fell out of love with Newcastle United uh, because of this owner and him and thousands of others. So if he is watching, um, just want to say you know it was good you know working on him with these things, even if it did bring us a load of grief. Um, yes, let's move on to the gates and Steve. Um, I guess I can start this one off. Yeah. I was I was basically contacted by Sir John Hall. Um, he rang us out of the blue one day, and uh, after chatting about the current state of the club. Um, he just happened to drop into conversation that he'd stumbled across the old St. James's Park gates, uh, which he had found, believe it or not, in a field in Wynyard Hall. Um, this was the gates, and this was the state they were in. They were lying, basically, face down in, in Wynyard Hall. He tripped over them. Now, it carried an interesting story because for years he'd actually accused Freddie Shepherd of taking the gates and using them as scrap. Um, something which he had to then basically uh, apologise for because from his perspective, um, you know, he, he'd made a big mistake and he stumbled across these on his, on his, uh, you know, as I say, on his on one of his daily walks. So he contacted me and he was clearly unhappy with the way things were going with Derek Lambias and with um, Mike Ashley and the running of the club. And he, I think he always felt a little bit guilty that he'd sold the club to this guy who hadn't really been as good as his word. And um, he said, look, Steve, he says, I've got these gates. Would you like to do something with them? Now, from my perspective, I'd gone on to the guys and said, I'd spoke to Steve Hasty about it and spoke to Graham Cairnsdale. And, and I said, look, I said, John Olds offered us these gates. Um, I don't know what the hell we can do with them. We had a meeting uh, and at the meeting, it was suggested that we could actually put them up on the other side of the road behind the Gallagher. Uh, facing St James's Park as a bit of a two fingers to, to Mike Ashley. So old Newcastle United on one side of the pavement, Newcastle United under Ashley on this side of the pavement. That was the idea right, in, in the mindset. Um, John all loved the idea, said he would happily help us with it um, in some way, shape or form. Get a price for how much it would cost to get these gates drilled into the path. Mm -hmm. See if the council would be up for it. It was... Crazy to be even involved in this whole scheme, but uh, yeah. that was where we were. So, John Hall bequeaths the gates to me. He says, you can have these gates for free um, and you do what you want with them. So, I basically then said, well, I bequeath them to NUFC Fans United as a collective to the fans. We see what we can do with them. So, what was your thoughts, Steve, when I rang you up and said, I've got them old gates from St. James's Park? <laughs> well, I thought I thought you meant I thought you meant the original ones from like 1909. And I was thinking, what the hell are we gonna do with them? They're these big slidey gates, like, like I could remember at the back of the Gallagher, and I'd forgotten that he had obviously those big horrible green slidey doors that they used to have had gone. Um, you know, that you could they had a they had replaced them with a redevelopment. Um and put put this set of gates up at, at each end. So I mean, the first thing was like, is, is this a joke? Then it, then it was a case of like all of a sudden Graham was really excited, and he, he thought, and the rest of the lads around the room, and when we were talking about it, were like, oh what? I think mean, so. John moved them up to Wolsingham, didn't he? He brought them up from Wynyard and he put them in Wolsingham, and he said, come up and have a look at them. So we all piled up the Wolsingham in the car. 
And uh, there's Sir John standing at the corner of this field at the entrance to uh, to where the uh, private air strip is at the, at the private airfield at, at, at uh, Newcastle. And um, he took us on this long winding walk through. Um, poor Malcolm Dix was there. And Malcolm had, had had a knee operation or something like that. So he was hobbling through and were worried in case he was going to trip over bits of wood and bracken and all sorts. And we got there <coughs> and uh, then... We're standing in the in this like sort of um, open area, and we're going. Well, where are they? And he goes, "Oh, hang on a minute." And he goes off, and he gets the he calls the calls one of his farm hands out, and he comes along with a great big tractor and starts lifting up all these bales of hay, and he moves all these bales, and then right under the bales is this one set of gates, and um, and he goes, "There you are." I put them under there to protect them. So you've got all these piles of hay bales stacked all over the place. So Graham and his pal, Graham had brought a mate of his along with him, and his mate was a, a, a I use I kind of phrase metal basher. He ran his own uh, his own uh, foundry place. Um, I think it was down in Bladen or somewhere like that. And he says, "Look, he says if we can get them on a high ab, um, we can we can we can take them, and we'll, at least they're out the way." So next thing you know, we're, we're back up there a couple of days later with a high ab. And um, the gates were, were were lifted from the, by the by the former. Um, he put them down, and then the, they were hoisted on the high ab, and they were taken away. And um, I think we're, we're talking like anything between six and ten grand to get these gates like tidied up. You know, we're going to get them sandblasted and then put back together. <coughs> so at this point, we thought. Because we're going to raise, we're going to raise the cash. At one point, I think Graham was was all for for paying for it himself, you know. And we go, well, you can't do that. And we said, you know, we'll have an, we'll have some events. We'll we'll raise the cash, and then um, we obviously they were at the foundry by this point, <coughs> and um, we we met um, Stephen Savage from the city council. Uh, if you remember, Stephen, we we took him up and yeah. we we. We'd been to council office and explained what went through. Steve said, oh, I'll come out and have a look. And we're, we wandered up and down Strawberry Place, telling them where we wanted to put them, him measuring up with a tape measure and steps. And, oh, well, we can't do that. We could do this. We'll have to look at that. <coughs> I'll get back to you. And then it became apparent that this wasn't a simple task of being able to put a set of gates up on a pavement. All of a sudden, we were getting the bureaucracy of... of um, health and safety. They had to be so far from the side of the road. They, they couldn't be open in case somebody tried to shut them and jam their fingers in them. They, 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 they had to be insured. They had to be part. The council would have to take ownership of them after a year, but we would have to cover the insurance for the first year. You name it, it was thrown at us. Still with the smiling face of Stephen uh, Savage from Newcastle City Council. Oh, yeah, it can be done, it can be done, but plenty buts about it, you know. A Mackham, it has to be said. But a good <laughs> yes, he's a Sunderland fan, but, uh, you know, let's not hold that against him. Um, he, he helped to put on some good events at St James's Park over the years. Um, anyway, uh, I digress. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> We could see the we could see the pound sign stacking up here. We were thinking, what the hell? Have we, what what's John Hall dumped on us? You know, a boatload of scrap. We're, we're going to get like ten quid for it or something like that. You know, if we're weird in. <coughs> so we 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 then thought, you know what? Let's tell the club what we're doing. Let's just 
you know, even if they don't go up, we'll still tell them what we're doing. So, and at that point, um, and at that point, I'll I'll jump in because word had already got to the club that yes. we had these gates. Yes, and because the relationship between me and Derek Lambias, shall we say, by that point had deteriorated, um, <laughs> he heard that Wraith has got the gates. <laughs> wasn't very happy at all. No. Um, to the point where he issued a quite a strong letter to Sir John Hall, um, telling him in no uncertain terms that having those gates was <laughs> basically a, a bit of a, a naughty move on his behalf and he shouldn't have them and that they weren't his property. Right. Which, if anybody knows Sir John Hall and knows his character, if you start telling Sir John Hall that he's done something wrong or he's in the wrong, um, I'm afraid there's only one reaction you're going to get, and it's not a very positive one. Yeah. Uh, and John Hall certainly uh, gave him two barrels back. So there was a, a frank exchange of emails uh, to which uh, Sir John notified Derek Lambias that he bequeathed the gates to me, which, me which meant that our communication with the club uh, probably wasn't as vitriolic as we would have expected, Steve, and we ended up having a, a rather pleasant exchange of emails between the club and ourselves about how we could take this forward. That's right. Uh, how we take it forward amicably, I think was the word. We would like to work with you, I think was the, the phrase that was kind, Steve. Um, and we'll even work with you, Mr. Wraith, I think was the, was the added sentence that was tagged on the end. So at this point, it was a case of... What are you planning on doing with them, lads? And we told them, well, we're going to stick them up. We're going to put them straight opposite Chiraz Bar. It's going to have St. James's Park, and we're going to get them. They're going to be nicely tidied up. And um, it's kind of two fingers to you. I mean, we were, on, we were honest with them. We're telling them why yeah. we're doing it. You know, it's got St. James's Park written on there so that every time we, we will arrange for every time the TV come to interview us, we will we will be interviewed. Any supporter will be told to be interviewed standing against the gates that say St. James's Park, not against the sign that says the Sports Direct Arena at St. James's Park. We will not have anything to do with that name. And that was what it was all about. And we would encourage the BBC, would encourage Sky, everybody else. If they wanted to interview fans, we would tell fans that that's where they had to stand. That's where we would do the TV interviews. That's where we'd do all the pre-match stuff if necessary. Um, so, of course, you can imagine how that went down. A um, couple of weeks went by and we got... Um, we've been thinking about it. Um, we'd like to work with you. We would like to do them up for you. We would like to take ownership. We'll tidy them up. We'll pay for the whole thing. We'll have them fitted. <coughs> so Steve spoke to Sir John and um, told him what, what was happening. And he went, well, that's good. Just keep your eye on them. Make sure they don't do anything untoward with them. Remember, they're your gates, etc. Um, and I think we came to an agreement that that's what would happen. Um, so that's that's... That's where we left it, really. Um, we we arranged for them to pay for the the uh, refurbishment, <coughs> for want of a better word, um, and they said that they would put them up on prop on the land at St James's Park. They said they would have a conversation with us, and they would find somewhere suitable that we all agreed with, um, and they would have an unveiling that would invite Sir John Hall too. Um, as a sort of, you know, as a, well, I suppose a way of, of Lambias saying, 
thank you uh, for bequeathing the old gates back to us, but at the same time, kind of an apology for what had gone on. Um, but I couldn't swear to that. Um, so we left it with them. And next thing we knew, we got word back saying the gates were, were now refurbished. We're going to put them in a suitable place. We hope, we're sure you'll be happy with it. Um, come along on Saturday and we'll have an unveiling and we'll open a room up where members of your group can come along <coughs> the press will be there and we'll have a we'll have an unveiling of sorts and so John can lead it etc cetera, etc cetera. so um we'd, we'd put a couple of places that we wanted them mainly on Barrett Road mainly wanted it so fans could walk around them so fans could get a photograph taken on either side of them that type of thing and uh, I think we turned up on the on the Saturday Steve for the unveiling and um Lo and behold, they'd stuck them. There it goes. Um, we knew nothing about the location, nothing about what they decided, and um, they stuck them against the wall. Um, not what we imagined, not what we wanted, um, but kind of a fate accompli, um, if nothing else. <coughs> did we have to eat humble pie? I suppose we did. I suppose, in, in hindsight, we should have kept our eye on the ball a little bit more, but... I think from our perspective and from our point of view, despite where they ended up being put, the fact that they had St. James's Park written right across the middle of them was enough for us because that was that was symbolically what we were looking for when they were going to be at the back of Shearer's Bar, um, facing Shearer's Bar. Um, they, they gilded them up in the right way, um, refurbed them in the right way, did it respectfully, but unfortunately where they put the gates... Um, wasn't where we wanted them. <laughs> Dear me, I haven't seen that photograph for a while, Steve. It's, yeah. uh, I can see John Irvin in the black and white tie, who was the finance director. Malcolm Dix in the middle with Sir John from the Magpie Group. Um, myself at the end. I'm not too sure of that. Uh, and there was a, we had a fan, didn't we? There was an oldest fan and the young. Was there? Was there right. a, a, like a yep. season ticket holders picked to do it or something? And then one of the, <coughs> the youngest fan who got who got selected. That's right. There was all. I mean, they, they, they did. They did a good job. They made a. They made a, a, a decent, uh, decent hit of 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 what they of what they could do. Um, we we had somebody came up and said that they'd been part of the original setup, didn't they? Who had who had built the gates? Um, yeah. Was a guy came up. Um, <laughs> And and that was good. Dear me, look at the state of that one as well, Steve. I know, and and, that, and what, I'm pointing to the sign there. Now, this was that's one right. thing that we did get, and that's still there for everybody to see. Uh, but the right. wording of that was quite particular, Steve, wasn't it? Just about that's the right. fans working with the club. That's right. These gates symbolise exactly what we were about, you know, and it has the fact that this was the club working together with a fans group. Um, I know a couple of fans groups that weren't very happy about it. Too in particular, um, but they wouldn't. They didn't want to enter into the conversation. They just wanted to criticise after the event, and that's that's the nature of of, of Newcastle fans. That's the nature of what we've had to put up with for God knows how long now. Um, and it became water off a duck's back to us. To be perfectly honest, Steve, at this point, um, well, the fans forum was in operation. Um, we were getting we were getting good input with the club. We were able to talk to them. We were able to do things like that with them, but at the same time, we were able to criticise um, where we felt it was necessary and there was plenty of occasions when criticism was necessary and was right. Yeah. I mean, Mitch, uh, coming to you, just the gates. I mean, it was a 
it's a bizarre thing for a supporter to be asked to do by one of the former owners. But um, I mean, nothing surprises me in my Newcastle United life, I'm afraid. But uh, well, that is another one of those bizarre situations that I found myself involved in. And, and of course, took all of you guys along for the ride. It got more bizarre for me over here um, at one stage because um, obviously I'm getting copied into all these emails and asked for a little bits of input from Gates and my head's like, what bloody gates? And, you know, my, my initial reaction was the same as Steve. What, you mean the big green bloody things from the 1900s? What the hell? Um, and then when I realised what we were dealing with, at the time, uh, I was speaking to a guy called Jay out here who was part of the two Canadian attempts to take over. Uh, and I was I was sitting having a beer with Jay, actually. Um, and we were bouncing a few things around. And I happened to mention about the gates. And he says, oh, I mean the ones from, ones from Sir John's garden. And he knew about the existence of the bloody gates because he'd been and had a few meetings with, with, with Sir John at his, at his uh, at, at, at Slaley. And uh, he'd, he'd obviously mentioned them to him at some stage. Uh, and I'm like, what? how do you know about the gates? I didn't know about no bloody gates. And Steve didn't know about any bloody gates until it was dropped on me. He says, well, what are you going to do with them? I says, well, this is the, and at the time, I think we were still at the stage of talking about raising the money to, to do it ourselves. And he's like, oh, see if I can, I can persuade our lot to help you and da 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 But it was just like, my head was spinning with gates. And I think the eventual, do you know what I think was behind the eventual placement? And you, you've already talked about it. If the council insisted on things like insurance in case somebody opened them and squished their fingers between them, and if you wanted them so far from the road and all those kind of things, Weld them together and stick them up against the wall. You don't need to pay any bloody insurance. You just hang them up against the wall. That's exactly what that placement is all about, really, You're which right. is sad. Um, but can you see Newcastle United paying a single penny more than they absolutely need to for anything? You know, and under Mike Ashley. And so they've looked at what's the lowest risk, risk and least cost strategy once we've paid to have these gates done up, hide them against the wall over there and weld them together. That's what we're going to do. Um and as frustrating as that is, and as, as, as infuriating as that is, I think you're right. I think you've got to take the pragmatic view that they were prepared to incorporate and to put them across the ground. And that name St. James's Park was emblazoned there forever, no matter what else they wanted to call it. And I think that was the most important thing out of it all for me. Yeah, that's I guess That was a symbolic bit, yeah. Sorry. I guess Keith, it was just damage limitation, wasn't it? As Mitch says, on on behalf of the club, they uh, you know they probably felt they diffused the diffused situation, and of course, Mike Ashley, if, once he got the publicity that he wanted from renaming the ground, of course, renamed it St James's Park again, which was a win win for him. More publicity mm. for for his sports brand globally. It was clever when he when he renamed it back to St James. But if they'd been if John Hall had bequeathed them to me, they'd have been on my uh, house. You know, to go down the drive and open them up there. To me, you know, I'd have paid good money for them gates because I thought they were awesome. But um, I, I think you lads deserve credit for what you did because, you know, you fought as part of our history and you got them. And whilst I know what you mean about putting them on Barrack Road, putting them up as shoes, by and all those I can see that, that you can imagine, you know, if, if there was any movement on those hinges whatsoever, there have been accidents, there have been risks of cars hitting them, there have been risks of people on bikes hitting them, there have been, you know, people walking into them, and, and, and. So you know what it shows is like these days. So 
it then becomes an obstacle. But when you see some of the bizarre developments people have got in the northeast, you think they would have found a place where they could have put them on stone and mounted them as you know for years to come, like like statuesque. But when I look at them, you know, um, and I saw them there. I think they, I think they look brilliant. You know, I think it, it it it's like symbolic and it's it's big. So I think you did a better job than what you give yourselves credit for. You know, I think they look great, and I can see the logic from a business point of view of sticking them near a wall. But but like you, it, it must have been doable for the council to put stone pillars and put them as a fixed item, you know, fixed openers, or to make an entrance out of them. Do you know what I mean? So so when you drive in. There's this this brick and stone, and then and then there's these gates open. They could be permanently open, but I think they're fantastic uh, thing. Like, and, and I think the fact that you lot got them, and it's bizarre we sit here tonight talking about, you know, one John Olav and them, them bl blaming Freddie Shepherd, then them going under bills here, and then you lot get them. You know what I mean? Between them, the Steve Reyes, and, and it's just it's just a it's just another crazy story. In the legacy and history of this football club, that that you know, when we all passing away and we're knocking daisies up, and people see these videos in years to come, and people read these stories, they'll just think, "What a bunch of crap pots them lot are!" They're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna look in at. They're gonna, there's gonna be some band in you know, 2062 is gonna say, "Wow, that's Steve Yeast. He had some sticking power, didn't he? He didn't, he didn't uh, bottle it very easy, did he? You know what I mean? Like it's it." And they'll say that Keith Patterson was very edgy, like he wouldn't put up with that. You know what I mean? Because that, like, you use a prop with so much, and uh, that I could put up with. And um, I, I, I just think it just that's what makes us magical about this club. It's it's an amazing, amazing thing, and just to be a part of it is incredible. Um, uh, everything we've talked about tonight, you know, is about getting a better future and how much you've fought over the years for a better future. And you know we just so badly want to compete, and 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 all these stories are just the same thing about hanging on to the little bits we have. You know, people say we're deluded. Hanging on to a pair of gears that's knackered. You know what I mean? That's that's what Newcastle fans are about. You know, they, we don't expect to win the league. We just want to compete. We just want to be a part of it. But you lot, honestly, you you you, you deserve medals like dustbin lids. <laughs> we've had we've had some times. That's for certain. Okay, well let's. Um, is the is the penultimate episode. We're going to have one more um, before uh, I get back from my holidays and that's going to be about the Fans Forum, how uh, NUFC Fans United progressed, the Fans Forum, uh, the beginning, the middle and the end, I guess, of the Fans Forum and, and where we see supporters groups going in the future. I think we'll have to touch on NUST again, probably on the pledge a little bit as well, uh, but that will be the final episode and you can catch that tomorrow night. But lads, thanks for joining us. Take care. Take care. Talking to myself again